So I just want to, you guys have a seat. And uh, that's the way you're going to, we're going to start this song. You guys will be sitting down. I really want you to focus and listen to the words with this couple things in mind. If later on in the song, God leads you to stand up, that's great. But so let me tell you what happened to me this morning. All week, I've been struggling to figure out exactly how to say that the kingdom of God is massive, but also incredibly, specially uh, intimate. And I was really trying to figure out how to say this in a way that would grab your heart and your soul. The same struggle I have every week, right? And so I'm still struggling with nothing. Oh, it's, it is what I have. And my notes are my notes. And then I come in here and the band is rehearsing. And Meg says, oh, Joe, this is a new song. She starts playing it. And I'd heard the song before. But when I was listening to what it was saying, uh, it was an extremely emotional experience for me. And it just grabbed my heart and I said, man, Megan, we got to do something different with this song this morning because uh, this is really amazing how, and she's really good at this, picking a song that matches the sermon notes. But this did such a good job of crystallizing in my mind what I want to share with you today. And I just felt like I I can't reproduce what the Spirit of God does in my heart, but I wanted to try. So I want you to think about this concept as you're listening to the words of this incredible song with words like billions and things like that. I want you to think about massive and intimate. Massive and intimate. God of creation, there at the start before the beginning of time. No point of reference You spoke to the dark Fleshed out the wonder of light Now you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath The planets So will I I can see your heart And everything you've made Every burning star A signal fire of grace If creation sings your praises So will I Oh, yeah. 
all of my failure and human monkey minds can ever comprehend how vast and great that at your breath galaxies and stars are born and formed that we all uh, pursue the sound of your voice whether we know it or not we are following the sound of our creator in this big and wonderful way that nothing escapes you nothing is outside of your watchful eye nothing ever has been nothing ever will be and yet we have this desire within us uh, to sing back to you to follow you to worship and to praise you thank you for being bigger and better and more in control of anything and everything that we could ever imagine. That in our moments where we feel so helpless and so out of control, like nothing is going right, nothing is going our way, that maybe the universe is out against us, we know that is false. Our God, the creator of the universe, is for us. We thank you. In the truth of your word, we thank you that no word has left your mouth and ever come back to you void of your promise. Your children of promise stand in front of you today, God, and just say thank you so much. Give us open hearts, open ears, open minds to the word that you've given to Pastor Joe today. Bond us together around the Lord's table. Help us to remember how sacred, but how joyful this moment is to celebrate with each other. We praise your name. We thank you for our children being in here today. Jesus, we pray this. Be a fence around them. In the name of your son, amen. You may be seated. You'll come up to the Lord's table. You'll come up. That was good, wasn't it? 
Um, like, I, 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 I'm sitting there. I'm walking into the uh, green room after they're uh, crying and stuff. What's wrong, Joe? Oh, I'm leave me alone. <laughs> this is week 18, Ears to Hear, part three of this little section on the parable of the seed and the sower. And appropriately, I've titled this message, Massive and Intimate. So have you ever wondered why we even bother to do church? <laughs> I mean, what is the, exactly the draw for some of you? Now, some people go to church for what they can get. The programs, this church has a good youth ministry, or this church has a preacher you love, like, you know. <laughs> or the music is fantastic, or the children, or, or something about a church that you like, something they do well. <clears throat> But in reality, for those of us who are good soil, there should be a much bigger, more inspiring, more captivating force that would draw us together. For us that are good soil, where the seed sprouts and gives life, church isn't just a gathering, an institution providing services. It is a massive movement inspiring our sacrifice. This kingdom induces in God's children a deep, inexpressible desire to be a part of something far bigger than ourselves. But how this massive movement is supernaturally fueled is even the greater mystery and it is fueled by this, an alluring intimacy with its king. A personal connection with God, inspirational and gratifying beyond anything religion or government could ever provide. That's the greatest, most joyful mystery of this kingdom of God we've been studying the last three weeks. It's complex it is massive, and yet it is simple, and it is inspiringly intimate. <clears throat> For the next passage we're looking at, it's a longer portion today, and Jesus says to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except for this reason, to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. <clears throat> If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's used that phrase four times. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. When Jesus says pay attention, it's probably a good idea to listen and pay attention. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seeds on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not, know, he doesn't, knows not how. The earth produces by itself the first blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? 
Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it's the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately his own disciples. To his own disciples, he explained everything. So these were the uh, tweaks this week from Mark. He did a really good job, whoever he is. He did a great job. But, uh, it's me. but anyway, <laughs> see the lamp under the basket and the mustard seed. I just wanted to put that up there to give you an idea of what Jesus says in the parable. He says the kingdom is like a mustard seed that turns into this massive tree. <clears throat> so I want to talk about the history. I want to talk about some secrets among friends. Let's recap what has happened so far. He's a very popular rabbi. Crowds are in the tens of thousands. He fed the 5,000 men and women, so that's at least, and the children, so probably about 24,000 people. And this is happening regularly where the crowd gets so big it's out of control. As we learned what he would do, he developed this really cool strategy. Is when the crowds were getting big, he'd start walking toward the shore, and he'd have a boat waiting, and he'd get on the boat, and he'd go out into the water at a safe distance, and he does what no other rabbi had ever done. He starts preaching from a boat to people on the shore. No other rabbi ever had to do it because their crowds were not that big. And then we see what happens. He goes through what we talked about in week one, the parable of the seed and the sower. And he preaches about this parable about the seeds and the farmer and the four different types of soil. That the first three, the seed doesn't grow up and give any life. But the fourth type of soil that is real, rich soil, it grows up and gives life and gives more seeds to be cast by other people. And the disciples assume the whole crowd is on the same path as they are, that they are all going to ultimately be as committed to Jesus as they are, and they are going to follow. But in this parable, Jesus says, not so fast. I mean, they would have been much more excited if Jesus had said, listen, we're going to go let this crowd go crazy right now. Heal everyone, go. The disciples would all for that. Not only heal them, let's feed them, let's talk to them, let's hug them, let's love them, let's make this crowd, let's make this church as big as we can right now, mega church, boom. But the disciples were perplexed, and they wanted further clarification. They don't like what they just heard, that only a small portion of this big, massive crowd is going to follow him. So they asked Jesus to clarify this troubling yet simple parable And he intends to change their whole paradigm of the kingdom of God. And he does it with hidden truth. You can understand, right, how this all might have been a bit dashing for their hopes. They didn't like what he was saying. Hiding the truth. Narrow is the gate. But we have this crowd right here. Wouldn't it save a lot of time? Jesus, just make it big now. But Jesus says, no, I don't want to make it big now. I have plans for a lot more people than here. Most of them aren't even going to be Jewish, and most of them aren't even born yet. So in private, Jesus dives into the deeper meaning of this parable, and he goes from beginning to end. He lays it all out. And what the Scripture does is does a great job of how he's revealing this use of the parables to hide kingdom truth from outsiders. That sounds so mean. But he wants to reveal it to insiders His followers, now understand, this group of followers, it's not just those 12 men that he picked. It's a dynamic group of people 
including many other men and a lot of women. As a matter of fact, Scripture gives insight to how diverse this core was, this core of this movement. It was made up of all types of people, rich people, poor people, men and women. In fact, he names in other Gospels some very wealthy women who were the core of the funding for this movement. Did you know that? It's fascinating. Later in Luke, there's a story of Jesus sending 72 disciples all at once to neighboring towns to spread a message. So we know when it says he's talking to his disciples, is not just the 12. <clears throat> but what was Jesus doing here? He is teaching a private coded message to his disciples in front of tens of thousands of people who don't have ears to hear. And he declares it is a very crucial teaching. He says, if you don't understand this parable of the seed and the sower, you're not going to understand anything else I say. None of the rest of the parables are going to make sense if you don't get this one. And he explains the meaning of the seeds and the sower, all the different types of soil, and then how God grows the crops. And he's basically teaching there's going to be a wide range of responses that are all out of your control, church. You cannot force a decision. And not everyone is going to receive the seeds of life. So that's the history, the recap. Let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What is he doing? This is Kingdom 201. It's a little bit more advanced teaching. This would be like a sophomore level course in Kingdom. And I love this part. So he just goes through. This is like amazing, guys. Listen up. This is it's important. It's like machine gun fire of a bunch of different illustrations of parables one after another, right? He is now at a climactic conclusion of this all-important teaching he says is the most important of the kingdom. And he's adding two more parables and then references back to the first one. And he uses illustrations for each facet of this kingdom. And he brilliantly builds one upon another. And frankly, it's very intimidating to preach. I'm serious. It's very intimidating. Because what our Jesus does, I was thinking about just inviting him to speak. It would be a lot easier, you know. He masterfully blends facts with metaphors, providing a foundation for understanding the mystery of his kingdom. And he takes deep, transcendent kingdom truths, making them accessible, understandable, but most importantly, absolutely inspirational. And he is the master behind all of it. He knows exactly how the kingdom works. And I imagine at this point, when he starts this rapid fire of parables and illustrations and examples and pictures, I imagine his disciples were not on their cell phones. They weren't thinking about lunch afterwards. They weren't posting on Facebook. They are locked in. They're saying, wow, he said this is really important. I got to get it. And if I don't, I'm not going to understand anything else. And he's just going at it right now. I'm listening. They are locked in like never before. I mean, Jesus, creator of the universe, is teaching eternal truth about his kingdom. And he starts off with this lamp under a basket thing. <clears throat> now, an oil lamp was something every first century person 
in Rome, the whole Roman Empire would understand. They'd have it in their houses. They would also know that the Old Testament lamp or light was a metaphor for spiritual truth. Just many of the references is like this one. Psalm 119. I hear there's a book out. <laughs> Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He explains he isn't hiding truth just to hide it. He's hiding it now just so he can keep it hidden until the very right moment when he's going to take the basket off and he's going to unleash it. And once he takes that basket off the lamp of truth, it will give off a light that will transform the world. So that's the first new parable. And then he follows up with a warning. It's not very fun. He says, it's all or nothing, people. It's a sober warning. So he says, right at the beginning of it, listen. If you have ears to hear, listen to this. That means, church, you better listen. I think that should really grab all of you right now at this moment. He explains, this is what will happen if you are truly one of my followers. You will give off a massive light. And if you truly have been given the gift of the light of life, it's going to be evident beyond belief. But if not, you will have nothing. Luke 8.18 Luke 8, is a parallel a passage. It says it better. Here's what he says. What a person thinks he has, a better way to understand it, whoever doesn't have, even if he thinks he has, will be taken away. Here's what he means. If you think you have faith, if you think you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not giving off light, you're not throwing seeds, you think you have it, but you don't. And what you think you have is going to be taken away. And the conclusion of this warning the truth will have one result in your life. You will give off light. If you don't, you have nothing. So does this trouble you? When Jesus makes definitive statements about life and death and heaven and hell, and if you either have it or you don't, does it concern you? Well, it better. And if it does, that's a good thing. If you're sitting here today and you could care less if it concerns you, that's a problem. So what is the tangible, measurable result of this? Well, he revisits the seeds in a brilliant teaching strategy. He masterfully ties into this majestic truth that we learned last week about the seeds and the sower, this brilliant callback to the very first parable that he spoke in front of tens of thousands of people. The seed and the sower ties the picture of, get this, it Directly ties, because he just talked about the light, and if you don't have the light showing, you have nothing. He ties light to seeds. Light to seeds. Get that in your head. He's tying light and seeds together. He ties the picture of the seeds with light and truth, and you cannot have the light of life and not be sowing seeds somehow. This should cause us all of us in this room, if you're a child of God, to stop and have some very deep introspection right now. But then, don't miss out on what he says next about the harvest. This is amazing, right? He's a, it's like rapid fire, boom, boom, like huge truth after huge truth. He says when the grain is ripe, the farmer comes and the harvest begins and he does it right away. And then he goes to this mustard seed. 
Like, I'm, sometimes I'm worried about preaching more than four verses to you guys. It is just laying it out here. The disciples thought, wait, this truth is hidden now, but later it's going to be revealed to everyone? You're saying it will be, and because you're saying that we got to be the ones, that it's our responsibility to spread this light, this seed? What exactly is the point, Jesus? Why not just grow it now? This one final, brilliant, very popular image of something small that everybody in the first century would understand explains what is going to happen, not just in a year, but through centuries. He describes a kingdom growing so big that it provides benefits by its branches to many others in unintended ways. He says it's going to, this mustard tree is going to grow up and birds will create nests in its branches. Here's what he's saying. This kingdom is going to be so big, it's going to be so massive, it's going to be so amazing, those who aren't even in it will receive benefits from it. And you know what I kept thinking about? As I was writing this, I kept thinking about what Lisa Kay and her team do at the food pantry every week. That's a big branch that people are setting up nests in. People benefiting that aren't even necessarily part of the kingdom, but they sure are getting opportunities from it. A mustard seed is the size of grain of sand, but it grows 15, 20 feet high. It's six feet thick at the trunk. It's a very clear image. A kingdom growing so big, it provides benefits in unintended ways. His kingdom will be so massive, it will provide blessings that overflow to those who aren't part of it. You think this crowd is big here, Jesus is saying. You think this crowd is something. Just wait. The way I'm going to do it, this beginning is like a mustard seed compared to what the kingdom will look like once I unleash it with the power of the Spirit of God. And the impact will be worldwide and ages wide. Okay. The personal, what about us? What are we supposed to do with all this truth? So I'm a little relieved about this word. Uh, well, this uh, tweet that I gave this week, this was the social media campaign. The kingdom of God is both, ma- both, math, both massive and intimate. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down for you two, those two things in the personal section. Let's talk about the massive part. And I'm relieved that you understand that I'm saying it's massive and why I'm struggling so much to explain what all Jesus said. It's too big for one sermon. I've done it three. I could have, honestly, I could have done it in ten. But now you have at least these three to go on. And what I'd like you to do this week, if you will... After this third sermon, go back and read chapter 4. After you read my new book, go back and read chapter (laughs) 4. Go back and read chapter 4 with the knowledge of what these three sermons have given you. And what you see here, what Jesus does is we have a snowballing image upon image upon metaphor, upon illustration, upon pictures. We have this big snowballing sermon, seeds, soils, Ears to hear, lamp hidden and revealed, crops growing mysteriously, then a harvest, then you have this mustard seed. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. This isn't about evangelism. It's a sermon about the beauty 
complexity and intimacy of how God's kingdom works. And today, we know, undeniably, even those who don't believe in the gospel cannot deny this, our kingdom, God's kingdom, reaches all ends of the world. It is a kingdom so big that it actually expands both heaven, those who are not with us, and earth, all those who are here now. And we get this now. This is the intimate part. We are so privileged to be a part of it. We are so privileged to have ears to hear that understand these secret hidden truths. That's where the intimacy comes in. See, this was the most amazing, comforting part of this whole section for me during this last week. And when I started thinking about this, and then I heard the song that Megan and the band were playing, it, God just did a, he gave me a moment. It was a supernatural connection with my father. And he just said, this is what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> and he says in verse 33 and 34, with many, he's just talked about this massive kingdom. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. In other words, he took it slow. Some people may not have gotten it right away. But he took his time and he was patient. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything intimate. So for people with no interest in Jesus, these things are really stupid and foolish annoyance. They might be, on a measure, kind of clever. Oh, can you even got like a mustard seed? Oh, I get that. But for the most part, for those that don't have ears to hear, it's just irrelevant babble. But for his followers, what Christ teaches is revealed to us through our eyes and ears being opened by the power of the one he sent, his Holy Spirit. You see, intimacy is about caring about what you feel what you think. Intimacy is about special secrets and truths you share with one another. Just like with his disciples, Jesus reveals truth directly to us personally and individually in the same way today. Jesus wanted these disciples to walk away educated, inspired, motivated, invested in a kingdom and in one another, but most importantly, he wanted them to feel special. He wanted them to feel loved. Today, he speaks to us in the same way. Like he did, like he did to me this morning. It was so powerful. He derails it directly. Personally, intimate, perhaps some of you are experiencing it right now. I hope you are. Perhaps he is calling you right now to be a part of this massive yet intimate movement we call the church. This massive kingdom of God full of people. But here's the great part, full of people, but each one with a unique, intimate connection with the king. 
We're all in the court. And nothing, nothing illustrates this idea, this beautiful meaning of massive and intimate like the Lord's table. Even the Lord's table, as we see in the Gospel of Mark, is a parable where Jesus illustrates the massive, intimate nature of his kingdom. Its power is in the miracle of celebrating in a corporate way together our very own intimate, personal connections with our Jesus. Do you see that? That's why it's so special. So Megan's going to come up and join me. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And I'm going to give you some insights into this kingdom of God thing as it relates to the, par- to the parable of the Lord's table. Some instructions. Um, make sure you don't put your little thing back in the little bowl. Just leave them on the table. Okay? Don't Because then they've got to rinse out all the bowls. Just leave them on the table. We've got gluten-free in the back in case some of you need that. But I'm going to take a few minutes now and explain how this Lord's table, and we're going from Mark, I figure since we're in the Gospel of Mark, we might as well use his version of the Lord's table, mainly because it's so good. So the first thing I want you to see, he's sitting down with his disciples, right? He's still teaching them privately, right? It's just him and his guys and his team. And he goes and he says this. He says, as they were eating, he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them. And he said, take this. This is very intimate. This is my body. 